Your name is what? Lookwell. Ty Lookwell. And you're a what? I'm an honorary member of the force. This was given to me in 1972. Presented to Ty Lookwell, TV's Brannigan. Brannigan. Hugh O'Brien was Brannigan. Who's Hugh O'Brien? Exactly. Welcome to the podcast with the hottest takes on shit no one cares about. My name is Stuart, and with me tonight, as always, is Joe. Howdy. Are you ready for this, Joe? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. And in our third chair, for an unprecedented third time, we have Chris. Hello, hello. We have no cowboys in this episode. No, but I do sense some common themes that will certainly come up. Oh, good. I can't wait. And in our seldom used fourth chair tonight, we have Derek. Hello, hello. I will be the cowboy of the show. Okay. So, guys, we throw the word legendary around on this podcast like pancakes at a fundraiser. <laughs> Pistol Pete is legendary. Doorways is legendary. Knee high PI. Notorious. More notorious than legendary. Sure. But tonight, we are talking about a legitimate cult classic legend the robert smigel slash conan o'brien slash adam west 1991 pilot look well so without giving too much away what were your first reactions genius yeah you're unadulterated genius <laughs> i shouldn't use that word too loosely because it, it really is genius i totally agree i thought it was really clever and really ahead of its time it is by far the hardest that i have laughed doing any of these i was in stitches at so many parts of this it's a total joy it's a crime that there's not more than 23 minutes of it or whatever this show unlike a lot of, that we've done before is absolutely not forgotten it has a huge following it's been passed around for years on vhs tapes and it was broadcast on nbc on july 28 1991 so this actually was on tv and I have a contemporary review slash teaser for it from the Clarion Ledger from Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> Batman's back. Adam West, television's Batman, returns to the airwaves as Ty Lookwell, a former TV crime drama star who has retired to become an acting teacher in Lookwell Sunday night at 6.30 on NBC. His perception of the line between his television character and reality is blurred. However, setting the stage for his assisting the police in solving real crimes. Yeah, perfect. Very surprising to come out of a paper in Jackson, Mississippi. I was reading a little interview with Robert Smigel and Conan O'Brien, and I think Robert Smigel said that he had given a copy to someone at the Village Voice, but uh, I didn't think it was going to make its way down to Mississippi. It was too lowbrow for those fellows over at the Village Voice. No, this was the Conan's attempt before his late night show, right? But after they were writers together on Saturday Night Live. He must have been working on The Simpsons, I guess, at the same time. This is before he was working on The Simpsons. Um, oh, really? He was actually working on Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And he actually, he talked about it in a speech he gave at Harvard for the class of 2000. Oh, really? <laughs> hey, this is success. I'm successful now. Successful enough to write a TV pilot for an original sitcom. And when the network decided to make it, feeling good, I leave Saturday Night Live. 
Tell him to go to hell. Now, this, this TV show was going to be groundbreaking, this new one. It was going to resurrect the career of TV's Batman, Adam West. It was going to be a comedy without a laugh track or a studio audience. It was going to change all the rules. When the pilot aired, it was the second lowest rated television show of all time. It's actually tied with a test pattern they show in Nova Scotia. Wow. <laughs> he was right about at least one thing in there. I mean, it definitely served to resurrect Adam West's career. To a certain degree. Absolutely. I watched a few uh, interviews with him around this, like on Letterman. To promote this? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I guess they had never met as well. So it's like kind of uh, two guys who don't really know each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little awkward. It's a good one, though. It's worth watching. So Adam West, he's like your classic case of a typecasted actor. Obviously, he was the Batman, and then he spent the 70s and 80s not being able to get any work. And this was like right at the beginning of kind of a resurgence for him. And I kind of attribute that to like the 30-year cycle. People who were kids in the 60s were just then kind of becoming like people that were leading the industry. Yeah. Conan mentioned that when he and Smigel were writing this, that they kind of realized that uh, the things they had grown up with had gone untapped as of yet uh -huh. for television for comedy writing right. at least these detective shows <laughs> yeah. yeah specifically the detective shows that i guess were rampant i mean i can think of what like rockford files yeah colombo what else was there that i diagnosis murder diagnosis murder <laughs> Hawaii Five O, the streets of San Francisco, SWAT, Maverick. <laughs> Maddox is, I think, one they mentioned specifically. Uh, Maddox. So they Maddox. do. Maddox is the one that's real from that <laughs> whole list of Brannigan, Bennigans. I think so. We'll get into that. We'll get into that <laughs> list. So. Adam West, before he did this, like in the 70s, he was doing county fair appearances oh. as Batman Yeah, um, to try to make money because he was so desperate. And he had said that they paid him to be shot out of a cannon in the Batman suit. And the lowest part of his career was sitting in the bottom of that cannon waiting <laughs> to be shot out. Dude, that's awesome. That's how I oh. want to die. <laughs> I guess he was kind of notorious for like never saying no to anything. <laughs> yeah. Like if you asked him, he would do it. He's like Brian Cranston yeah. in that way. <laughs> oh, Cranston will do that? Oh, shoot, I'll do that if Cranston's doing it. Yeah, I was looking at the shows that he did post-Batman, and he was in some heavy hitters for sure, you know, just as a cameo, including Diagnosis Murder <laughs> and Bonanza. <laughs> I made a list of all of the pilots that he was in. <laughs> I think a bunch of these are on our list eventually, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for West Week. <laughs> so there's 1963, Alexander the Great. <laughs> 1973 poor devil it stars sammy davis jr oh god fuck yes he is a demon trying to get a promotion from the devil oh my god and that's brilliant adam yes. west is somehow involved with that so 1975's nevada smith which i'm gonna guess is a western okay 1981 time warp slash warp speed it kind of looked like a pilot but because it was so short but it could have also just been a really bad sci-fi movie and then 1992's, which would have been after Look Well, 1775, in which he plays George Washington. Oh my God! Wow. How do we How do we get that one? I think we might do that one for Thanksgiving. Oh, perfect. What about our, our previously <laughs> teased Fourth of July All American Patriotic Blowout? Oh! <laughs> oh my God! I didn't even think of that. 
yeah, well, we can do that for uh, 4th of July, absolutely. You know, for the troops. Yeah, we'll have a hot dog eating contest on air. <laughs> It'll be great audio. <laughs> I think the real star of this show is the writing, because it's just, it's so good. And if you're, if anybody is trying to learn comedy writing, this is something you should study. They nail the straight, absurd dynamic so perfectly. In that, I mean, Tyler Lookwell, every person he encounters in this show, they react to him like a normal person would react to someone mm -hmm. saying these things. This is a concept called truth in comedy. The idea that usually you don't need to say the perfect punchline. Nine times out of ten, the funniest thing to do is just... State the obvious. There's so many times in this show when someone just says the most obvious thing to look well in the most blandly obvious, boring way, and it's hilarious. Let's talk a little bit about the YouTube video. Um, did Which copies did y'all watch? I watched the one that said highest quality, I believe. Yes, I watched, I watched the best quality. I watched the trio one, I think. So there are two copies of this up on YouTube. One has the trio logo. That one's been up since 2006, has 60,000 views. And the other one, which is the better quality one, it's been up for four years and has 10,000 views. For a failed TV pilot, that is an insane amount of views. Normally, we're we're watching stuff that's like been has like a thousand views that's quite a lot mm -hmm. what did uh heartbeats the television program uh what did that how many views did that have like 400 yeah look behind you look around you i think it worked out to about a thousand a year because it was it had been up like nine years or something it's also it's worth noting that this is not the version that was broadcast on nbc in 1991 this is a later cut that was shown on trio and if you watched the 2006 upload version it even says you're watching trio's brilliant but canceled marathon what's trio yeah can we have a deep dive on trio mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a a cable channel i don't know like tbs or something tv network <laughs> oh you know what it was kind of like hd net right or spike tv it was an american cable network but it was owned by the canadian broadcasting corporation which is kind of weird oh weird yeah they showed a lot of red green i'm a man but i can change if i have to i guess uh i hope so every red green is up on youtube by the way oh my god we're talking 15 years what red green was parodying only lasted like three there was something that red green was parodying like other than just like this old house like pbs home uh, maintenance shows it, there was like a specific thing the red fisher show featuring red fisher internationally known sportsman outdoor editor and member of the fishing hall of fame and his special guest like they would go fishing and it was in 16 millimeter and it was just kind of narrated holy shit he does a little parody of it on every episode but it kind of grew out of that wow they've got to see that man this trio network actually played some like really weird stuff on there like my mother the car <laughs> damn <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> Stuart's favorite show so the main difference between the 1991 version and the 2003 version is we lost an epilogue scene, which we will talk about at the end. And also Robert Smigel has said he prefers this 2003 version. So 
first thing we get is the opening sequence. The theme music is hilarious. It's pitch perfect. We have Adam West slash Ty Lookwell. He's tearing through police caution tape, but then he's <laughs> using at a railing, and then he's picking out a suit in his closet, and we get a glimpse of a poster for the detective show, Bannigan, <laughs> which is a recurring joke. And then... This is the best part. He's talking to a police officer and pointing and shit. And then he just he steps off screen and the look on the officer's face, it's like he's annoyed, but he's also like blank and kind of unimpressed. Like, it's like exactly how a police officer reacts to a member of the public that came up and just talking nonsense to them. They're just like, okay, glad that's over. I think my favorite part of the intro, other than him uh, just very determinedly tearing the police <laughs> tape in half, is when he's shuffling through his closet and he literally just has like 17 of the exact same turtleneck in three different colors. Like Jeff Goldblum and the fly. Exactly. <laughs> also, for an early 90s TV show, that was one of the shortest intros I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you that's know? true. Yeah. <laughs> He's pioneering the short intro. <laughs> yeah, I actually listened to the Matlock theme song. I didn't watch any footage of Matlock, but this show reminded me of Matlock in some ways. Oh, really? But uh, I just decided to listen to the Matlock theme song, and it's very long. So, yeah, <laughs> I can confirm. Just like Andy Griffith's career. Yeah. We'll, we'll just put the Lookwell theme song on top of the Matlock's theme song right here, and we can just compare. They sync up like in Dark <laughs> yeah. Side of the Moon, closer to us. So, first scene, we see the Hollywood sign establishes we're in LA, and then we are inside a casting office for Happy Days, the Next Generation. <laughs> Which is hilarious, because wouldn't the next generation be the 1960s? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> it would be Chachi or whatever. Joni loves Chachi. Or Morgan oh, Mindy. God. Oh, yeah. Awful. What yeah. a terrible group of television programs. <laughs> So we see Lookwell, he's sitting on a couch and he's wearing a leather jacket and an enormous 50s-style wig, like something out of a, an Ed Roth drawing. It looks like an animal on top of his head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like dressed like the Fonz, except he's got like a beaver on his head, pretty much. <laughs> he's talking to the other actors about the craft of acting. And this is the beginning of what becomes one of the running themes, where actors flock to him for his wisdom on acting, which is complete <laughs> nonsense <laughs> right the exact word i would use for it yes i learned a long time ago that a casting director only has so much time to make a choice the thinking actor must use every edge to make that choice a foregone conclusion well i i guess i blew it huh Perhaps, but you never fail when you learn from your mistakes. It is utter nonsense that anyone is thinking this man's <laughs> Not that he's not a sweet, well-meaning man. Other members of the public that he interacts with, like the police officers or other people, just think he's clueless. But anyone who's an aspiring actor actually falls for whatever he's saying. They adore him. Kind of consistent rule throughout the thing. They'll do anything he asks them to do. Like, he puts them in danger repeatedly. Yeah. So his philosophy is the quote-unquote thinking actor, which is hilarious because generally you don't really want a thinking actor. <laughs> uh, it's how you end up with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Mr. Freeze smoking an mm -hmm. icicle mm -hmm. cigar. <laughs> All right, everyone. Chill. I forgot about that. One of my professors in college was Bill Harrison, who was the writer of Rollerball. It was based off of a science fiction short story, which was well regarded. He leveraged that into 
getting his first screenwriting credit, but the way that they made the movie was a departure from his script on multiple levels. In his opinion, it was because the actors were all these really big ex-athlete guys, and the director was like this little guy, and they basically bullied this director into uh, making their own line. Oh my god. Help me. My large movie sons are out of control. <laughs> he was also not informed at all of the uh, reboot starring LL Cool J, but I think he did get some type of payment for that. They didn't include him? He found out about it as like uh, everybody else found out about it as it was coming out, but he got oh some God. type of residual yeah, for it. LL Cool J showed up to his head. <laughs> One of the things that um, Adam West had talked about was that he didn't get included in the 1989 Batman. It turns out that July 28, 1991, on Sunday, Michael Keaton's Batman was playing on HBO at the same time as Lookwell. Batman started at 7 and Lookwell started at 7.30. Wow. So, you know, if you're already into Batman 30 minutes, you're not really going to change the channel for... For Batman. Old Batman. Yeah. Can somebody tell me what kind of a world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press? So he's sitting on the couch and he's talking to the actors. <laughs> One of the actors asked him, Aren't you Ty Lookwell? Yes, but until this audition's over, I prefer to be addressed as Buzz McCool. <laughs> <laughs> now that's definitely a coming in line for sure. It's like such a Conan name. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just delivered with like the most serene calmness. Yes. Kind of what defines yeah. him as an actress. He's just so calm. His like voice is like so dour. And I think that's mm -hmm. like something that he brought to Batman oh, yeah. that like has stayed. It's like something that they try to emulate. Yeah. Exactly. They tried to digitally make Ben Affleck's voice just like his voice. <laughs> it's a worthy cause. Okay, so this is when we get the running joke. No one remembers the show he was in. So here are all the cop shows mentioned in Lookwell. So we have Ty Lookwell, who was Banigan, and he had a sheepdog. <laughs> and then there is Banachek, who was George Papard, Benigan, who was George Kennedy, Branigan, who was Hugh O'Brien, and Maddox, who had a black secretary. Right. <laughs> They're all Irish names, too, pretty much. <laughs> well, you know, they ruled Hollywood in the 70s. Yeah. So the audition ends before Lookwell or the other actors can get called in. And Lookwell just says... They're lost, my friend. And the two young actors follow Lookwell, and they're just hanging on his every word. They're complimenting his car. Which I think it's a Porsche convertible. No, it's an Alfa Romeo Spider. Yeah, okay. I can buy that. I, oh. I'm fairly certain. Uh, it's not a Porsche. It's a little too big to be a Porsche, okay. actually. <laughs> Good enough for me. So it turns out this wasn't his car. It's a rental that he apparently rented for the audition. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You got to yes. be styling yeah. from the minute you show up. To impress the guys. Yeah. And I think they made it look like place he rented it was just literally just around the street from the place he was auditioning. Seems like maybe he's pretending to be wealthy, but he's actually not. Yeah. However, later we see him in a really nice house. Well, he used to be able to buy a house for like $75 in a song. <laughs> that is true. So this brings us to the main plot of the show, which is mm. classic cars are being stolen. So he's like negotiating with the attendant about how long he had the car and how much he owes. All right, sir, that's two hours. So that comes to $50 plus tax. Hmm. By my watch, I was only out for an hour and 45. 
Well, we round off to the closest hour, sir. It's in your agreement. Look, I didn't want to bring this up, but that blinker makes a click-click sound. It's supposed to, sir. All right, here's the 20. Let's agree to disagree. And a cop car drives by, flashing its lights, and Lookwell decides he needs to go check it out. So we see the lot owner, Mr. Alberti, and he's standing there with the police. Mr. Alberti is Bart Braverman, and he's a pretty prolific character actor who's been showing up mostly in TV shows since the 1950s, and he was working up until 2017. And his first acting credit was in 1955. He also used to show up on Match Game all the time. And I think we've talked about how great Match Game is. One of the greatest game shows of all time, if not the Match greatest. Match Game is genius. Next to Jeopardy. Also, another genius show. <laughs> and, and Hollywood Squares. Didn't they try to reboot Match Game with Alec Baldwin? They did, two years ago. And it failed immediately. You can't capture that uh, Charles Nelson Riley. How, how are you going to fucking do without Charles Nelson Riley? Do you know who wears pink tights I don't and know. rides a chariot? Who wears oh. pink tights and rides a chariot? Ben Gay. Ben Gay. <laughs> so Mr. Alberti is talking to the police, and Lookwell walks up and interjects himself into the conversation, telling them, I don't think you understand. I used to play a detective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Alberti is super annoyed with them. Cops say, well, check it out, but this is the fifth lot to have a classic car stolen this week. To which Lookwell says, Sounds to me like a string of classic car thefts. You boys better check it out. And then he starts quoting Shakespeare. How off the sight of means to do ill deeds makes ill deeds die. He says that actually three times in the show. And it's a quote from King John Act 4, Scene 2, which in the context is completely irrelevant. It does not make any sense. I read as much of <laughs> uh, the play and the synopsis as I could to try to make it make sense. And it doesn't. <laughs> it's just a line he likes saying for some reason. It's his go-to Shakespeare quote. I think probably because it. It is nonsense, and it's word salad. The cops and Mr. Alberti kind of stand there puzzled, thinking about it for a second. And then Mr. Alberti just looks up and says, Would you get lost? Yeah. <laughs> so, look what goes home, and we briefly meet Hyacinth, who I think might, is his housekeeper? You thought maybe it was his I... friend? You, you, you saw it three times, so I, I will trust your, your judgment on it. Split the difference. It's his wife. She's this lady hanging out in her house, and it's, she's not married to him. Yeah. And she's, like, polishing a lunchbox when he comes in, which is really okay. weird. She's cleaning. Yeah. She's doing shopping. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Could be just his friend who likes to hang out at his house. <laughs> so this leads to my favorite exchange in the entire show. He asks her, Did you do that shopping I asked you to do? I tried, but the store said they don't make that hairspray anymore. Those fools. <laughs> we get this little touch that Lookwell is living in a bygone era when this hairspray was the thing that the most popular actor wore. It's the handsome man's hairspray. Also, if you look in the background of this scene, there's a bronze Shakespeare bust, which is the exact same statue that was used in Batman for the Batcave switch. Oh, wow. Yeah. The head flipped back, you know, and there was like a button in the neck. Oh. I don't know if it's if it's intentional because it would make complete <laughs> sense for him to have that in his house. But it also somebody must have known in the props to like grab it that thing and stick it in the back. Yeah, you got to assume that it was intentional. Good little Easter egg. They did spend $2 million to make the, this. What? So, yeah. Where did you find that? Jesus Christ. It was in the interview with an Entertainment Weekly. 
Ghibli with Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel. And uh, they said, yeah, we've got a major studio to give us $2 million Whoa. to do this. But despite everything else, that that's a success. And that's a huge budget. Well, you got to remember, Lauren Michaels like produced this. So his name carries a lot of water. Yeah, he was the executive producer. This is also when we find out that Lookwell's nephew, Matt Conway, who is also an actor, is staying with him. <laughs> this is such a bizarre point in this to me. Because it took me two times watching it to realize what was happening. Hello. If you'd like to leave a message for Ty Lookwell or for the Ty Lookwell Actors Workshop or for my nephew, Matt Conway, do so at the beep. The answering machine is completely full of messages for Matt. Kevin Costner, Steven Spielberg wants to meet him, and one message is literally from Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, who, while recording the voicemail, is clearly eating. <laughs> I'm looking for Matt. This is Francis Coppola. I'll try again later. The last message on the answering machine is a agent saying that the Happy Days audition is canceled. Matt, it's Rick again. Look, the Spielberg thing has to be tomorrow, so I'm going to cancel that Happy Days audition. I know, you're crushed. So the audition that was at the beginning wasn't even for Lookwell. It was for Matt, and Lookwell just heard about it and went. Oh, I didn't put that together. You're so right. It's like a nice little detail that they stuck in there. <laughs> Lookwell goes to the freezer and gets a popsicle, and we pause on the brand, which is Firm Pops, the frozen treat. That tightens your skin <laughs> i love the logo it's just some guy deep throating on popsicle <laughs> so look well realizing he has no calls to make he decides to watch tv and he opens up a cabinet that is full of bannigan on vhs and film reels. <laughs> yeah. pops in a tape and we get to see the opening of the show within the show bannigan Adam West is wearing a wig and he's pointing his gun and driving his car down alleys and all this stuff. It's basically like the sabotage video. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of curious what you guys' thoughts were on those kind of shows. I was never a big fan of those shows. There's just something about the pacing and the way that they look that just immediately bums me out and makes me think about like <laughs> coming home from church on a Sunday and not being allowed to go out and play because it's Sunday uh -huh. and turning on the TV to like the Rockford Files, even Nickelodeon. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's just the Rockford Files or Hawaii Five-O. Yep. Chips. Miami Vice. Next up on Nickelodeon, the Rockford Files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next up on Nickelodeon, Michael Mann's Miami Vice. Nick, 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 <laughs> Nick, 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 Nick. Nickelodeon. Uh, the movie, not the TV show. They were really bummer mm -hmm. shows for the most part. Yeah, they bummed me out. They still do, really. So I'm less familiar with the earlier versions of those types of shows, like the ones mentioned or The Streets of San Francisco was another one that was mentioned in that interview by Conan. But the later ones, I guess, like Matlock, for example, is something that I watched a lot more of, or um, even the ones in the 90s, like Nash Bridges or Walker, Texas Ranger, or of course, Law and Order, which is its own mm -hmm. thing. I definitely have watched my share of procedurals and cop shows those 70s ones specifically not as much just the kind of tv land depressing weekend viewing that, that joe describes i think that's definitely a shared experience of our generation the last generation to grow up where you would just have awful <laughs> UPN shows in the afternoon that were free for them to air. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned TV Land because actually the the twisted thing was that even once we got a uh, satellite TV, 
my dad would put it on TV land all the time. So it would basically be a lot of the same shows anyway. Hello out there from TV land, a beautiful place to be. Nick at night, better living through good TV. That must have been like the first years of TV land as well. It was just a total novelty. I get to relive my childhood. Right. It was a spinoff of Nick at Night. It was like, oh, you know, we have Nickelodeon for the kids and we do Nick at Night for the adults. What if we made a Nickelodeon for adults? <laughs> they get to live out their fucking dumbass 1950s <laughs> nuclear family fantasies. What on earth is sweeter than to greet her? Hi, honey, I'm home. That was one soft theme song. I think one of the first shows that was on a TV land called Hi, Honey, I'm Home was like a 50s sitcom family that was living in the 1990s. And What? That's a ripoff of Blast from the Past. Well, this was before Blast from the Past. Oh, really? Okay, well then Blast from the Past ripped it off. They were a legit 1950s sitcom family and they had like a, a controller that would turn everything black and white. Weird. They'd push it and they'd go, oh, God, thank God. It's Satan's playpen out there. I'm telling you. Hi, honey. I'm home. I can remember my aunt being at my house for some reason, and it was on, and she just looked at it and just said, this is so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Your aunt's right. I've never even heard of that Have you guys heard of a show called Get Smart? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so that came up in the interview, which is written by Mel Brooks, and it was on TV in 1965. The president of NBC at the time, who greenlit this pilot to make the pilot, said, I I know what you guys are trying to do. You're trying to bring Get Smart back to prime time. And he's like, and a lot of people have tried and failed. Missed it by that much. (laughs) This is a funny script, and I think you guys have a shot but getting the right balance is very hard of making it funny enough but also making it the story makes sense and whatever else and i hadn't heard of get smart at all but now i really jump oh, wow. into it i want to i'm very curious because i love mel brooks get smart is like the best i think you might love it it was one of my favorites as a kid it was like the one mm-hmm. Nick at Night show that I didn't ever get sick of. Like, F Troop gets old pretty fucking fast. <laughs> you can skip the Steve Carell movie. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> you can also skip the reboot in the 90s by Andy Dick. Oh. I'll also say you, you can skip Andy Dick entirely. That's true. the sabotage video and we cut to a church steeple and in the context of what we just saw it seems like this is a scene from Bannigan but it booms down to a sign that says Ty Lookwell's acting workshop downstairs second door on the left (laughs) and an arrow that's pointing at a cropped out picture of his head (laughs) it's a very very good cut because it got I thought it was just going to continue into that show so we cut inside to the workshop and he's having his students watch an old episode of Bannigan. <laughs> yeah. It's the end of an episode and a man named Leron is being arrested. The show shuts off and Lookwell is explaining to the students all the intricacies of the part that he had to do in the show. <laughs> had to convey both anger and triumph. A sense of disgust with Leron and all he represented, as well as reaffirmation that the balance of nature would be restored i served if you will as both magistrate and messenger and one of the students raises his hands and says so the pimp was actually funneling money through the disco (laughs) 
Again, it's just saying the truth, like the most bald-faced <laughs> truth of what he just watched. So he asks two students to use what they learned from watching the episode to do the, quote, resolution scene from King Lear. This is, in fact, what they are doing, Act 5, Scene 3 from King Lear. And interestingly enough, the woman here is reading King Lear's part. There's a gender equality. There you go. They get about three lines in, and Lookwell stops them and asks the class, Which one of these two actors was conveying the dichotomy we saw in my Bannigan episode? And... Ben, who is obviously the teacher's pet, says that... I thought Alex had a good sense of his who. Probably referring to the Stanislavski method acting. And also, I uh, want to point out, Ben is played by John Riggy, who would go on to write a bunch of episodes of 30 Rock. Oh, really? Oh, hey. Yeah. So the actor tries to defend himself and says, Well, sir, I was attempting to summon my life experience and transport it the Earl of Kent situation. <laughs> Which is, in fact, method acting and is exactly what Ben was talking about. <laughs> Which is really funny. But then Lookwell interrupts him. He says to himself while his students are look on in confusion. Used to play detective. Mind can't help but make deductions. It's like a psychosis. Like he can't help but solve crimes he got locked into the stanislavski method yeah exactly <laughs> he got stuck as a uh, ban again just like uh, marlon brando got stuck as uh, dr moreau in his late life mm -hmm. so Lookwell excuses himself from the class because he's got to go see the police telling ben to take over and Ben asks... Want me to put him through the emotional tag exercise? <laughs> Which is really not that crazy. Like, I could definitely see that as an acting or an improv class exercise. Right now, I'm going to pay a little visit to my friends at the police station. Cut to the police station, where Lookwell is trying to convince the sergeant at the front desk that he is an honorary member of the force. He has a badge and a block of resin that was given to him in 1972 at a formal ceremony. <laughs> in where? television city glamorous television city television city is where the stbs studio complex is in la and has been since the 1950s i knew it was real i had no idea where or exactly what it was it's where the price is right has always been filmed oh the bob barker studio the bob barker studio <laughs> help control the pet population have your pets spayed or neutered so that badge in the block of clear lucite uh it was a detail that conan actually took from his childhood because his grandfather was a retired police officer from massachusetts he had his own badge in a block of lucite so he decided to work that into the show i wonder if that's actually his grandfather's badge they use i don't think so i mean i think he would have mentioned that in this interview when he mentioned the detail but um it was funny because in this interview that was from i don't know a few years ago Robert Smigel didn't know that part, but yeah, that's where Conan got it. <laughs> Detective Kennery steps out and recognizes Lookwell because he was the technical advisor on Bannigan. Oh, I look well. Don't worry, Detective. I was just getting rid of this guy. No. no. Oh, Sergeant. He's with me. He reluctantly escorts him into his office. You can just tell this guy is so tired. He is so exacerbated mm -hmm. and he's so done with dealing with look well but he is so accommodating he just enables this this horrible you can see him biting his tongue yeah. like you know yes <laughs> throughout the entire yes. scene look well tells him 
he thinks he's had a break in the classic car robberies to which the detective says well that's great ty and we appreciate your enthusiasm I thought we had a talk about how you weren't really needed around here. Detective, with all due respect, I did three episodes on this kind of thing. <laughs> and Kennery just gets this, like, dead look in his eye. Like, I'm just so, like, he's just so done with all of this. How many times has this guy come into his office and wasted his time with this stupid <laughs> bullshit? And he just puts up with it. Lookwell explains his theory that the cars are so hot that they would have to be transported out of the country. To which Kennery explains, Look, Will, those cars are imports. They'd fetch a higher price here than anywhere else. We're fairly certain. These thieves are altering these cars quickly and then storing them somewhere to be resold later. Well, perhaps if the police were to share these nuggets of information with their honorary crime stoppers, we could work together more efficiently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The desk sergeant from earlier comes into the office and says that the commissioner wants to talk to Detective Kennery. And he says, you know, I'll be right there. And then the, the sergeant says, he knows who you're with. And he says he'd like you to join him in reality. <laughs> Lukewell says, very well, then I'll be out of your way. But remember this, gentlemen, I have a lot of free time. <laughs> like it's a threat. Retired boomer. He's got plenty of time. It's his superpower. <laughs> He's like the the old men that go and volunteer at the police station to, you know, stop kids from smoking or whatever. Uh, neighborhood watch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, citizens on patrol. <laughs> we get a commercial break, and then it's act two. Lookwell and his students are at a restaurant booth, and the walls are covered with framed headshots. And I wasn't really sure which restaurant this is. I guess there's a, probably a lot of restaurants in L.A. that have headshots up. I just assume all of them are like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very prominently, you can see a headshot of Adam West signed by Ty Lookwell, almost center frame, eye level. Right. <laughs> he had them eat at yeah. the booth that had his photo right above it. We'll eat at my <laughs> booth. He's reading a newspaper. The headline, Seventh Stolen Car Outruns Police. So he tells the students that police are obviously baffled, but they're too proud to ask for my help. One of them asks if they told him anything, and he relays that they said the cars were being altered in some way. And one of the students says, You mean like painting them? Exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if those cars are being painted in an auto painting shop. And all the students think this is just genius. They're like, oh, God, why didn't we think of that? Mm -hmm. I, th I thought this was a very Conan line. Absolutely. Like, I could totally yeah. yes, see Conan absolutely. saying that. Yeah, and the, it's it's weird because some of these lines, they're just so well-timed, but also subtle in a way that I really appreciated this pilot compared to other ones we saw, but I still didn't have, like, a lot of, like, really hard laugh out loud, not like Joe did, but... Chris, I think you're just really hard on, on these. <laughs> you never laugh. Maybe so. I don't really high standards. Well, I think for this too, it's just that so much has come in this style like this since then. But at the time, this was not a thing at all mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. a comedy show without a laugh track and with lines delivered bone dry. But it totally works to me mentally yeah. and it is funny. Like, I'll totally agree this is a funny show, but a lot of it just flows in this way that you're you're just uh -huh. kind of along for the ride exactly even when it's not laugh out loud funny it's just really really damn clever i would go as far as to say that 
comedy writers have studied this show and it did have a huge impact. I think this show would work really well like on Adult Swim, broken up into like 15 minute chunks. Like some of the shows that they've done in the last few years, like, um, oh, the one with Chris Elliott. Uh, oh, Eagle Heart. Yeah, or SVU, whatever, or NTSF SDSUV. That had Captain Janeway yeah. in it. Oh. This humor was just way, way, way ahead of its time. It was really low on the ratings. It was like number 92, very bottom of the ratings when it aired. Yeah, they didn't promote it or anything, and they put it up against 60 Minutes, which, as we discussed in other episodes, was the uh, 800-pound gorilla. (laughs) Fucking 500 million American families watched 60 Minutes every fucking day back then. Let's, Let's be clear. like This was already a dead pilot that they'd already passed on, and... They just did this. They just played pilots in yeah. the summer. Yeah, Sunday night. Why? End of July. Because there's just, the ratings are already shitty. It doesn't matter. Like, they got to put something on. So they've already got this stuff they've already paid for. Uh, the CBS Sunday Playhouse or CBS yeah. Movie Playhouse, it was nothing but pilots. Yeah. Lean back and relax because here comes the CBS Summer Playhouse. The bottom of the ratings with uh, Lookwell was number 91, Alien Nation. Oh my God, awful. Awful. <laughs> really? You hate the Alien Nation? It scared the living <laughs> shit out of me as a kid. As we've discussed, I'm a giant baby. I don't remember that. I remember the movie. Oh, but you don't remember the TV series? No. I think the movie was actually the pilot for the TV series. Oh, really? That would make sense. Okay. All right. But it was about like alien, like aliens live on Earth and they're like basically second class citizens. And it was just a big Uh race allegory yep. was it was that a harlan mm-hmm. ellison or am i misremembering that no i know that james con was in it but oh really <laughs> yeah also at number 85 a show that's kind of close to my heart parker lewis can't lose never seen it the name sounds familiar it was kind of like ferris bueller okay. but a little bit more magical realism kind of like a network of tunnels in his in the lockers in his high school oh, damn i do yes. okay when i was a kid i loved parker lewis and it's number 85 mr lewis mr randall mr phillips Hello. the hour block that this was in was first the julie brown show which would have scared everyone oh boy and then look well its viewership was 2 million to 2.3 share, which is insane. It's a fucking insane. Hit. It's Can a you hit. imagine if you got a 2 million viewers on a Sunday night nowadays? You would be fucking renowned as the television whisperer <laughs> at this point. The next scene is the first undercover acting scene. <laughs> Probably the highlight of this whole show. <laughs> yeah. I think it was my second favorite scene in the entire show. (laughs) Cut to an auto body shop, and apparently he's gotten himself a job painting cars. He's dressed like a service station attendant from, like, the 1940s. (laughs) Yeah, they pretty much just stole the costume from the jerk. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. He's with this character, Phil. And Phil is played by one of the greatest character actors of all time. Yes, he is. (laughs) John Capodice. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but he's in everything. He was in everything back then. He's been working since the 70s and still working today. That's what blew my mind. They don't use him anymore. He's in all these like shit budget movies. But he's always been like that. But he was in all the big budget movies back then. 
And he still should be because he's a great fucking uh, character actor. I remember him from Ace Ventura. Oh, absolutely. It's, he's just like irritated at, at Ace Ventura yeah. and yelling at him. It it's was fantastic. Great. He's an extraordinarily good actor and a great character actor. Just like so distinctive. More John Cavadice. Yeah, he's great. He should be a more thing. All right, I got a question for you. He was an Independence Day. Do you remember what character he was? Oh, God damn it. I do not. I'm sure he was more interesting than Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, you're going to get us killed. That's right. Isn't he a Scientologist <laughs> or something? Who was he? Who was he? Didn't he Kill work me. for the cable company that Jeff Goldblum was in? <laughs> I think. Gosh, I don't know. That I was kind of hoping you guys would know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we figure it out, I'll drop it in right here. All right, all right. John Cabadice played Mario in Independence Day. Then he asks Lookwell if he's ever painted a unibody frame, and Lookwell gives him the dictionary definition of a unibody frame. So you've painted unibody frames before, right? Ah, yes, the unibody. A lighter weight alternative frame introduced by Detroit in the mid-70s. Well, you seem to know your stuff. Which is really hilarious. <laughs> it's very funny. It's like he's done a bunch of research for his quote-unquote role of being a car painter <laughs> wait you're right that means that, that that means that the research that he did when he was researching his role was literally just reading an encyclopedia then we're introduced to manny who is played by sal lopez he has 137 credits but you probably best know him from full metal jacket oh. where he was the rock do you smell what he's cooking <laughs> I also noticed one of the earliest roles was in one of my favorite movies, Midnight Madness. Oh. He plays a scary, generic Latino man with a switchblade that never speaks. That's my dream role. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was an underuse of his talent. Faggot <laughs> beefy. Then Lookwell just starts spraying the bumper of a car with paint. Man, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he says, it's all the rage in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, so Phil, the boss, says that since they only charge $60 a car, they like to move them in and out pretty fast. And that leads to Lookwell implying that they are moving stolen mm -hmm. cars. If there's anything else you'd care for me to do, just let me know. Huh? What do you mean? Oh, you know, any special jobs that need extra attention? And Manny interprets that as he's gay and he's flirting <laughs> with them. And to be fair, Phil says it doesn't matter as long as he does a good job. Yeah, that was very open-minded of him. <laughs> yeah, equal opportunity employer. Look, man, we're not into that stuff. That's not what I heard. Then we cut to his class, and they're asking him how he got beat up. And he's wearing sunglasses. And what's really funny is his face is covered in these teeny tiny little band-aids. <laughs> like, like, it's so ridiculous. How'd you get beat up, Mr. Lookwell? I'm not exactly sure, Suzanne. The working class mind is strange and unpredictable. <laughs> that should be the slogan for a political party. <laughs> So then he tells the class that they need to get back to their soliloquies. And one of the students, um, she's listed as Miss Hoister in IMDb. So that's what I'm going to call her. Played by Deborah Richer, uh, who has kind of a, had a sporadic acting career. 
uh, but is still around. Um, and coincidentally, she was also in Midnight Madness. Oh, so wow. This is kind of a Midnight Madness reunion show. She does her soliloquy, and I think you were you were saying you thought this was fake. Uh, Joe, remember when we talked about this? I thought this was completely fake. The name of Ellie Gloveborg was just so ludicrous that there was no way in my mind that it could be real. They do a good job of mixing in real stuff with made-up things, like the names and the the, yeah the recitations, and even even some of those acting techniques, like emotional tag, probably is a totally real thing. But who knows? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, they do. They fooled me a million fucking times on this one. That's a thing I can't emphasize enough. Like this is like the real world and people in it react to him in real ways and everything that happens is like what would really happen if this person existed um and that's what's so funny about it i won't answer that question for you all i know is that ellert loveborg had the courage to live by his principles and now he's done something big something beautiful a soliloquy, which is not really a soliloquy, it's only three lines, but it is word for word taken out of Act 4 of Ibsen's Hedda Gabler. And I actually think Lookwell says that. He does, because I thought that was a fake name as well. So Lookwell compliments her, and then Ben chimes in and says, Don't you think it would be faster if I demonstrated the transformation technique for the class? Wait a minute. Faster. Sir? Fast. Race. There's an auto race in town, isn't there? That's right, sir. The L.A. Grand Prix is here Sunday. So we cut to the second undercover acting scene, the entrance to the Grand Prix track. And Lookwell and one of his students are standing there arguing with a guy in a referee shirt, and they're both dressed like 1910s aviators. (laughs) They stole the dirt dastardly outfit (laughs) and slapped it on them pretty much. It's the Mr. Burns revulsionize those tires outfit. Yeah, exactly. He's got a giant scarf and a leather trench coat and huge leather gloves and goggles (laughs) and like, I think it's like an aviator cap. I think that's what I was Yeah, it is an aviator cap, yeah. That was actually uh, the only helmets that were made up until like 1975. (laughs) Exactly. No, you can't come in. You are not in the race tell him a dash carlisle world renowned auto racer (laughs) (laughs) and the referee is like no you're not there's no such person and i'm tired of talking to you get out of here (laughs) so they walk away and lookwell says it was a good effort jason you just need a little work on your physicalization so he's like blaming this all on jason's poor (laughs) acting abilities and jason is like buying it jason was the one who was dressed semi believably that's exactly he's dressing like pit, a pit yeah. crew yeah if he just done a little bit of research found out what teams were racing <laughs> you just walk up there and tell them what team you're with they probably would have let him in <laughs> yep jason is played by todd field and he played the mysterious nick nightingale in eyes wide shut oh, so wow. we have another stanley kubrick connection show he also became a very famous director and well-acclaimed director notably uh what is it little children was that what he directed mm. hold on one second give me one second the family kubrick movie little children no <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus let's see 
Yeah, he he directed the film Little Children. It's like a movie about a pedophile. Yeah, Lolita. Can we get through <laughs> one episode of this podcast without bringing up a pedophile? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Jeffrey Jones has sort of come up a lot on here. Oh, God. <laughs> He's the glue that holds it all together. The pedophilic glue. So they're walking away, and Jason says, well, What do we do now, Mr. LeClum? Not to worry. Every good undercover man has a plan B. And then he turns around and just throws himself on the gate and tries to scurry <laughs> up. And, like, eight security guys pull him down. <laughs> like, very poorly trying to scale up him. As the man in his 50s or 60s that he was, trying to jump this fence, and he made it about one, one foot up. <laughs> So we cut to a jail cell. Lookwell, still dressed as an old-timey race car driver, is sitting on a bench watching two large men pushing Jason back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) And we quickly realize this is an acting exercise that Lookwell is putting them through. (laughs) Just like they would in prison. Well, he has like this charm over people that want to be actors. Detective Kennery shows up. Tells them they've made bail and can go. And Lookwell turns to the two big guys in the cell and says, Work on those exercises. You've got a Forrest Tucker quality. Me? Both of you. (laughs) Both of you. Which I thought Forrest Tucker was, again, a fake person made up for the show. No. God damn. (laughs) It's as if we're watching a documentary. It's as if you're listening to a documentary (laughs) of me being a complete fucking idiot. (laughs) So they're in the hallway of the police station and Kennery says that the racetrack has said they won't press charges if they promise never to bother them again. (laughs) He also informs him that during the race, two more cars were stolen. And Jason says, so we were just wasting our time. You never waste time, Jason. Time waste you. <laughs> Again, words out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meaningless. Kennery tries once more to convince Lookwell to stop being a detective. And Lookwell pulls out his badge and says, Detective, maybe Bob Conrad didn't take his honorary badge seriously, but I did. So then we get the scene where Lookwell talks to the Shakespeare statue. God damn it. I really wanted to figure out where this was. I don't think this is a real statue. I think it's a completely fake statue because it is incredibly crappily made. (laughs) It looks like total shit. Shakespeare, he's just sitting in a throne, um, (laughs) staring ahead blankly. Ooh, I invented words. Put me in a throne. I looked like a bunch of statues of Shakespeare. Most of the time they have him in these poses where he's like thinking or like with a quill or in the art of playwriting. Yeah, it barely looks like him so he's pacing back and forth in front of the statue talking to it and going over the details of his quote-unquote case and he realizes owners stealing own cars collecting insurance alberti's car rental he didn't even know his license number follow alberti Prove his guilt. Expose the whole conspiracy. Oh, it's all so perfect. If this had been any other detective show, this would have been it. This would have solved the case. This is exactly what would have happened. Absolutely. I thought at this point he'd actually figured it out. Thank you, William. As always, you've shown me the way. Now, if you'll excuse me. We're at a big, lavish charity event being thrown by the Santa Monica Foundation for the Homeless. And there's a big banner that says Homeless, they're everybody's problem. (laughs) I lost it when I saw that. (laughs) I absolutely lost my fucking mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like now that would be like a completely honest sentiment. Homelessness is a fault of society. It obviously is everybody's problem. Well, sure. Mm -hmm. I think the phrasing, though, is just so harsh. (laughs) You know, the sentiment is like (laughs) almost okay in a certain way. And then it's just like really poorly delivered. Yeah. Let's work together because it's our problem. Miss Hoister is standing there in a dress with a long cigarette holder trying to get into the party. And she's telling them she is Vanderhaven, Eloise P. Vanderhaven, perhaps you've heard of my father, Thaddeus Vanderhaven, who built a vast fortune out of nothing. <laughs> and Lookwell is standing behind her dressed like a circus clown hobo. The most perfect fake hobo you've ever seen. <laughs> he has the like flower in his fucking hat, which is just so goddamn funny. Yeah, it, it had strong Harpo marks vibes to it for sure it's a red skeleton painting is what it is yeah and he's got a bindle and everything yeah (laughs) it's like a clown version of yeah all he's missing is the white face and the big red lips and she tells them and this is willie the homeless person whom i am sponsoring good evening i live in the streets (laughs) his dialogue in this entire scene is just fucking unbelievable (laughs) the most clever delivery and the most clever writing combined yes yes absolutely the guy that's letting people in the party is just like yeah whatever go on in he just lets these two insane people into the party yeah they went right in they went right through they didn't really have any problem getting in even though yeah he sticks out like a sore thumb so he's walking through and he's he's just saying to people i haven't got a home he says it in the most harsh way i haven't a home good evening I have a home. Hello, nice to be indoors. Hi there, the sidewalk is my pillow. <laughs> he's just saying this. <laughs> yeah, he's muttering to himself. Mm-hmm. He's not talking to anybody in particular. He's just walking <laughs> through a crowd of people in tuxedos just saying this to anybody that will listen to him. <laughs> so then we see Alberte finishing a thought saying, I just feel we have to remember, these are real people with real lives. Good evening quite a little fundraiser isn't it and look well pushes him his way into the conversation which is a running theme for him and it's just unreal because he just looks so fucking stupid and he starts asking alberte who does not recognize him i think he does recognize it oh you think so i think so yeah huh i got the vibe that he like completely knew who he was and what he was doing he just was like who are you like what what do you what do you wasting my time for i think that's just his attitude towards him generally what are you talking about pay no attention i'm just a crazy old vagabond (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's like staring at him with this dead look in his face he's like i'm just a crazy old vagabond (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like the charles manson courtroom video where he's like i'm a snake i'm a hobo i'm a tramp i'm a boxcar and a jug of wine when he and then he just starts dancing. Oh, he always dances in his courtroom videos. I'm not even kidding. Rip Charles Manson. He just always does a weird little <laughs> dance. I, I he was crazy. Lookwell runs over, finds Miss Hoister. Too well, I'm afraid. Alberti tried to play dumb, but he's no actor. Which was kind of cool. I was like, okay, well, that's his superpowers. Like he can tell when people are lying, but he didn't. Like he didn't actually doing <laughs> jason's waiting outside we've got no time to lose excuse me homeless coming through pardon me eat out of a trash can <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so it turns out Jason is outside working as a valet, and I wasn't really sure if this was his job or if he was somehow part of Lookwell's operation. He says it's his job. Oh, he does? Yeah, he says, get out of here, I'm working, doesn't he? Like, Lookwell comes up to him and he's like, it's me, Lookwell, do you recognize me? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> just wearing a stupid hat. <laughs> but I never heard him say that it was his job, like, because he goes along with everything he tells him to do. Do you remember which car Alberti came in? Yeah, a black Jaguar. Get the keys, let's go. He steals the keys to Alberti's car. And if he's working there, then, I mean, that seems <laughs> like a really dumb thing to do to just follow crazy Lookwell around. But anyway, they open Alberti's car and Lookwell tells them that... I'm just going to hide in the back seat. And within a few hours, Alberti will lead me right to where the stolen car is hidden. So he's just going to lay down in the back seat of this car and no one will notice him. <laughs> but at that very moment, Alberti sees them getting into his car and he's like leaning over the balcony, yelling at them, you know, stop, they're stealing my car. And Lookwell says, change of plans, get in the car, both of you. <laughs> and we get this great car chase scene. Jason is driving and Miss Royster's in the front seat and Lookwell's in the back seat. And Miss Royster yells, why do I have to be in the <laughs> Which is like, yeah, like, why is she in the car? So they're speeding down the road, and the police are chasing them and shooting at them. <laughs> and Lookwell casually leans out the window and says, I'm not a car thief! I'm an actor! Follow me! As they're shooting. As they're shooting <laughs> like they're going to hear him from one That's speeding car to another. He's just saying that out the window. They turn into the car lot. It's the same one from the beginning. The police follow them in. They, like, bust through the gate. <laughs> Lookwell and the crew. He gets out, and the police are surrounding the car, and Lookwell says, I'll accept your apologies for arresting me in advance, gentlemen. Inspect the premises, detective. You'll find that Alberti's your man. Well, it turns out Alberti is working with the police, and the car was part of a sting that Lookwell ruined. Well, then Alberti starts yelling at one of his employees. This guy just crashed through my gate. How come the alarm didn't go off? Oh, it must be a malfunction, sir. I'll check on it in the morning. It's a brand new system. What are you doing here after hours? I was just, just doing uh, inventory. Wait, wait a minute. Did he know we were staking out the museum tonight? I'm sure. I told him. There's your man. Take him in. And that's the end of the case. So he hands them a full size, like 8 by 12. 8 by 11 headshot. That he's signed. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure working with you. If you need me again, here's my headshot. So we cut to the credits, which are played over Lookwell sitting on his leather sofa eating a popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> which was just so great. He's like chowing down on that popsicle, too. It's, it's <laughs> the audio is coming from the television that he's watching. Yes. So it's just kind of like faint and lower quality. Diagetic. It's pretty funny. The 1991 version had an extra scene. So in the 1991 version, there was an epilogue to this that we didn't get to see. So in the original version, we're in the classroom and Lookwell announces to his class that Jason and Miss Royster were sent to jail for stealing the car. Wow. <laughs> and then he introduces his two new students, the two big guys from the jail scene. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. I would have loved to see that ending. It ends with him starting another episode of Bannigan for them. Okay, yeah, that, that, that works. 
in the interview they suggested that he doesn't solve the crime in the in the original script yeah but the studio was like no he has to win in the end at least and so they actually did find a way for him to sort of stumble across solving the crime yeah well halfway it does tie things up in in a way i don't know how the show works if they never resolve the issue oh so they they straight up wanted the crime to go completely unsolved even i don't know or they just wanted him to not win like, i mean that's hit. kind of my main issue with the show is that look isn't really a protagonist he, i mean he doesn't drive any action he just sort of is floating along and things happen to him we're just watching him and the real story kind of happens elsewhere because it's like he doesn't solve the crime he doesn't even know what's going on yeah they just kind of tie it up at the end it is hard to sympathize at all or sort of follow. It's really kind of a fly on the wall to see how things unfold, but not so invested in any aspects of it. It's hard to really identify or care about Ty Luquel. He's frustrating, <laughs> but he's not completely unsympathetic. We're starting to get onto this theme that I was going to bring up that's similar with the other show. Conan, I think, or maybe it was Robert Smigel, they, they said that they felt like because these old cop shows or whatever hadn't been revisited at all at this point, like no one had done a show like this, that they were really on the cutting edge of something as they were making it. But then like right around the time they made this a bunch of things came out that were sort of parodying or dressing like those old detective shows. And it makes me think that uh, Acting Sheriff was also in 1991, right? I think That's true. Um, That's true. And that was about a washed up actor who was the sheriff of a small town trying to look like he was solving crimes, even though he wasn't capable of it, was kind of clueless and full of himself. Very similar premises, actually. Like the actual style of the show is different. The premises were similar, but all ties back to Ronald Reagan to me. Oh. Psychically, America and comedians and culture was not done having eight years of a has-been actor as president, especially someone who was sort of absent-minded in a lot of important ways, but also very like serious and, and wanted to be taken seriously. This was still like people working through that. Wow. Holy shit. That's really interesting. I was also drawing parallels between this and Pistol Pete yep. because mm -hmm. it's the same thing. It's just an idiot that we're rooting for for some reason. Yeah, an idiot that all the rubes enjoy. What I did like about this is old movies or shows or books or whatever that they had been in. Like in the other ones, they mentioned the titles that they've written, but you actually got to see Bannigan. And that was nice. I love a good like yeah. show within a show because it could just be so ridiculous and it doesn't matter. Like it, you don't have to explain anything. Yeah, you're right. You know? uh, acting sheriff would have been much better if they had had a clip from the scuba movie. Yes, flashbacks to scuba sleuth. <laughs> you mean the world to me, Conrad. It's Conan. Conan. <laughs> That's not a real name. After this, Conan got a job writing for Simpsons. And then, of course, he got his talk show and eventually hired Robert Smigel. So it's hard to say that we didn't really get uh, a huge amount of Conan. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were both writers on Saturday Night Live. And this was the first thing that they had written basically for themselves. They weren't thinking about how does it work. They're like, what's funny to us? And and yeah. that was the guiding principle of this show. And it didn't happen to work in this case as far as success, but they were able to just do it a couple of years later with um, Late Night with Conan O'Brien. It's kind of hard to imagine. I mean, I was a huge Conan fan growing up. Yep. Yeah, I think we all are. Absolutely. The Arnold Schwarzenegger where he cut out the mouth and Robert Smigel was by. The clutch cargo <laughs> technology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Welcome, Mr. President. Hey! All right. Well, we 
would be remiss if we didn't mention one of the most lovable, versatile characters of all television, uh, Triumph the Insult comic dog. For me to poop on! I was a big Triumph the Insult comic dog fan. I will confess that I had never looked it up, and I did not know until watching this show that Robert Smigel was Triumph the Insult comic dog. <laughs> you know I that? had okay. no fucking yeah. idea. I don't wow. know why I never bother maybe maybe you know in a way preserve the mystery behind the comedy no i just uh, never looked it up triumph is the stupidest <laughs> idea he has the stupidest catchphrase and the puppet looks terrible mm-hmm. and for some reason it has a stupid accent that makes no sense yeah he's just a dumb old borscht belt comedian yep. on its face none of this is funny other than it's just so stupid but Robert Smigel. It's the pure commitment. He's so yeah. good. It's the Robert yeah. Smigel wit that he has. And he just finds the yeah. perfect thing to say. And I also think that Triumph disarms people. Oh, absolutely. They think, you know, it's something stupid. And then he, like, comes out with something really, really biting and awful. <laughs> yeah, I watched a <laughs> clip of Triumph on Hollywood Squares with Kathy Lee Gifford. And it was like, <laughs> like oh my God. the month that Kathy Lee Gifford left Regis and Kelly. And you ready? Bergeron, what drive? Thank you so much for letting me sit next to the beautiful Kathy Lee. My pleasure. Hey, Kathy Lee, what? you know, Regis and I have a lot in common. We both broke up with our beaches this year. <laughs> <laughs> Adam West experienced a bit of a revival in the 90s, a bit buoyed by Batman 1989. You know, people became nostalgic for him. I, I would venture to, to guess Lookwell had a, a lot to do with it because it, it, it was almost always these like Lookwellian buffoon characters with delusions of grandeur. Yeah, most notably Family Guy, where he just plays himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was big. It's for kind him. of like when we were talking about Robert Goulet. Yeah. He's just billed as himself. Yeah. I mean, that's the joke. Adam West is the mayor. Yeah, Adam West. Ha 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 ha. But good for him getting a fucking paycheck. Gotta assume that one episode of Family Guy paid as much as an entire season of Batman. Probably. Conan and Robert really liked working with him. They wrote it around him. Once they decided that it was going to be him, it helped them kind of finish the concept. And they were more disappointed about him not getting to do the part as their show not getting launched, you know. So apparently a studio told Robert Smigel's agent that they wanted to do a Look Well movie a couple of years ago. Really? But it was after Adam West had passed away. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that because it all revolves around adam west like it has to be him and they were like what what about what about nicholas cage and it was no they were no not interested what the fuck oh my god these motherfuckers just completely missed the fucking point of what endears a person to to people i would totally watch a cage revival of look well nick cage Nicholas Coppola. Mm-hmm. I think that they legitimately were starstruck by Adam West. I think there are a lot of people in the early 90s who had been children in the 60s. Yeah. Were just yeah. star studded by Adam West and couldn't believe that they got to work with yeah. him. They also didn't expect him to have this sense of comedic timing. That's part of the grave misunderstanding of the 1960s Batman. It's true. People think that it's just like a shitty, unintentionally cheesy show, but it was intended as a comic. Yeah, it was intended to be ridiculous and campy. Yeah, it probably deserves a revisiting because I don't think our generation really grew up watching it that 
mm-hmm. much. Yeah. As much as that generation did. And I feel like maybe we should revisit that show. I think it deserves a day in the sun. And apparently there was a movie too. Yeah, which I've never seen. That's where the line comes where he's running around with a bomb. <laughs> he keeps like trying to put it in like a baby carriage. And then he's like, like everywhere he tries to put it, he can't put it. And then he says, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a Conan line. The end of The Dark Knight Rises, it's the exact same scenario where Batman is flying with the nuclear bomb. <laughs> I remember being in the exactly. theater praying, praying that he would say that. But no, of course not. They're not going to fucking do that because that would be funny. No, Christopher Nolan is a humorless asshole. No, I don't know if he's an asshole. <laughs> easy, easy, easy. <laughs> he's pretty humorless there. <laughs> sorry i didn't like the 60s show when i was a kid because i thought it was stupid yeah but this type of batman was completely out in the 80s and 90s it was all about dark and brooding batman and arguably still is sexy dark brooding batman i want more color and fun and i think a return to adam west type of batman is well overdue yeah i agree i would love to see a campy reboot of batman just go in the complete opposite direction of the christopher nolan stuff yeah get it with the look of like jack kirby where it's just all oh man can you imagine the outrage though from all the (laughs) diehard dc fans oh fuck them yeah i know fuck them exactly but can you imagine they'll watch any of the stuff they'll they'll watch it all Mm -hmm. well they could do like what they did with spider-man there's like a million different universes and different spider-mans and then we can have all these spider-man stories that won't affect their precious canon yeah. you know that was the last superhero movie that i really like enjoyed oh yeah that i thought spider verse oh that was, was an fucking awesome fantastic. Movie. yeah that was very good yeah I would love to see like a noir version of Batman where it takes place in the 40s and it's more like stripped down 40s technology. Do you know who was supposed to direct the very first Batman movie? Uh, no. Before the 1960s adam west batman orson welles oh, was oh, was wow. working on really that would have been working awesome. on a batman movie if you google orson welles batman you can see his uh preliminary sketches <laughs> he wanted gregory peck to play batman Holy which shit. would have been fucking incredible just like look well not being picked up that is a crime that that was never produced scouts don't slam the screen door <laughs> i'm batman too perfect and orson welles plays the penguin (laughs) oh my god it's like dream casting come on fellas you're losing your head i wouldn't direct any living actor like this in shakespeare (laughs) so where would you guys rate look well how many um how what what what's the, how many turtlenecks how many police badges and resin i was gonna say the um the popsicle that he's eating but i couldn't remember the name of it so what are they called firm pops firm pop. how many firm pops <laughs> out of five i mean i'm gonna give it six out of five yeah i'm with Stuart going over the top this is like only episode seven or eight of this podcast and we're really blowing the wad mm-hmm. I, I, i'm pretty sure it's all downhill from here. <laughs> yeah. i'm giving it four wow yeah <laughs> so um my highest score yet that's, that's high, <laughs> high marks <for> me. <laughs> gotta leave room for improvement adam west died in 2017 at age 88 of leukemia and the city of los angeles projected the bat signal onto the side of city hall in his honor it's very sweet I watched the video on youtube it's kind of like okay sh- okay <laughs> shouldn't they shoot it into the sky I don't think it actually works that way is the thing. Oh, yeah. I, I think the physics of it doesn't work. You know what they say, it never <laughs> rains in Southern California. No clouds, not a cloud in the sky. Well, is there anything else we need to say about Look Well? 
or about Conan or Robert Schmeigel. I just would love more non-talk show television from Conan, honestly. I think that's coming soon, actually. I think he's finally given up his TBS show. Did he really? He's giving up his talk show? I think he is. I think this is the last year of it. And then he's just going to kind of do like the Conan without borders thing. Wow. So it's kind of hard to believe. He's been on Late Night for almost 30 years, except for the the one year that he got fired for The Tonight yeah. Show. Johnny Carson retired after 29 years, and David Letterman was 33 years. Oh, wow. Okay. He is legitimately like a Late Night legend at this point. He's been on and, just about our entire line. Mm-hmm. Well, since 1993. Yeah, so I would have been nine, eight. We're not out of Conan O'Brien pilots. Oh, really? We have another one. Yeah. What's called uh, Beat Cops. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it stars H. John Benjamin. Oh, yes. So, you know, we're, we're okay. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's more. <laughs> We've definitely got more Conan content. More Conan, baby. Yeah.